Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. I hope you're having a good weekend and uh, getting some things done. Weekends are always exciting. Uh, You're trying to combine worship, rest, and honeydews. That's pretty (laughs) tough. And uh, I'm afraid sometimes one of those go lacking. It's just don't let the same one go lacking every weekend, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Our co-host, as usual, Nathan Harper. Nathan, it's good to be with you again. Yes, my pleasure. And uh, we have a guest today, someone that I've known a long time. And and the neat part about this uh, job of, of interviewing on Exploring Missions is you meet some new people. But you also get to talk with some people that won't call them old, but uh, some people that you've known a long time and and you've been friends and even nearly like family. And uh, our guest today is one of those that's really we were connected in family and friendship. And it's Mike Hatfield. Mike, welcome. Thank you. Very good to be here today. It is good to have you today. And uh we are just enjoying you. Uh, he and I got to visit a little bit on a personal basis, going over things that we're not going to broadcast on the radio. Okay, <laughs> catching up, right? Yeah, yeah. catching up, right. and uh, just uh, we do go back a long, long time, and I appreciate him so much. But Mike, what I want you to do first: tell us what your the the ministry you're associated with right now. Well, now I'm working with uh, Wycliffe Associates, uh, based out of Orlando, Florida. And basically what they do is they work with local churches and all kind of administrative uh, partnerships across the world, and we're focusing on Bible translation for Bibleist people groups. Okay. And uh, you've been with that ministry for how long now? Uh, six years almost. Six years. Mm-hmm. And amen. So you've done quite a bit of traveling. Now, yes, I know you've I taken have. a little bit of sabbatical mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. past year, but you've traveled quite a bit. Yes, I did. Have you kept up with the countries? Or you I think I've been in 27 countries in my life. Over the past five years, most of those have happened. 27. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've got me beat quite a bit, <laughs> about 20. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Some of mine have been repeats mm-hmm. to the same place. And so so you enjoy that? I love that, it. Okay. Love it. I don't really ever meet a stranger. I'll talk by the people that I sit by on the plane or that you see in the gro- in the restaurants or whatever. I just enjoy people, so it's very good. Okay. Well, we want to talk about that, and but before we do in what you're doing now, uh, I, I just love folks to hear your story, salvation, calling, a little bit. Would you mind sharing sure. your journey? Yeah. Well, I grew up in the church all my life, and before I was born, I think I was in the church. Uh, and when I was around six, I remember a pastor coming to my church, uh, and we were the home that always had the pastor's revival meetings to come and stay or specifically eat with us. So I got to know them a little bit, and I remember thinking that God was calling me to accept him into my heart. Uh, so I didn't really know what to do. I talked to my parents. They wanted me to wait. They didn't think that it was really time. 
so then the next, that was like a spring revival. And then that fall revival, I didn't ask anybody. I just walked the aisle, went down, <laughs> accepted Christ. Um, when I did that, I don't really remember now a lot about it. So when I was around 21, I made, every, made sure I knew what I did. I confirmed that, and I began to really walk with the Lord. Even though I had in the past, I began to walk with the Lord even more from my heart and my, my walk. You know, salvation is an event, but it's also processed. Yeah. It's a, I, here, now, you may not like this. I call it a processed event mm-hmm. when you think about that. You know, being born again, using that illustration that Jesus used with Nicodemus, it is an event. But through that process, you have it, and then you develop. And, and uh, I, I know I was saved as a 12-year-old boy. That, that was a good – and all ages is good to get saved. But at 12, you're old enough to know a lot that you've done and what he's done for you. But praise the Lord, back, that was before any kind of deep, dark sin had come into my life, you know. And it was a good time. For me, I guess whatever time you were saved, Nathan, would be a good time for anyone. You, you were saved early, but you had those confirmations later as well. Yeah, that's you? right. And I was just thinking, you know, um, no matter how or when uh, that moment that you uh, you turn from your sin, you trust in Jesus and and he redeems you, he saves you. Um, that that's not um it's important, but it's you know remembering that and going back to that all the time is not the most important thing. That processing that happens afterward mm-hmm. is really discipleship, and that requires other people, and and hopefully you know mm-hmm. we've all had individuals and and churches and groups in our life that have poured into us and help us in that process of of discipleship and, and working out that salvation. Amen. Okay, at twenty one, you had this uh, reassurance mm-hmm. and going. What happened then? Well, not too long after that, I continued to feel something touching my heart and realized through people and through different circumstances and situations that he was calling me into ministry. Didn't really know what. All I knew was the preachers that I'd seen in my life who was loud and usually pretty big and <laughs> uh, ate lots of chicken. Not, let's not talk about loud and preachers that now. Me. <laughs> so I had to really find where God wanted me. And since that time, I've done a little bit of everything, but I've wound up working mostly in the education administrative side in the churches that I've served in. And on the side of that, all, missions has always been a big part of that. Looking back, I think even when I was in middle school, high school, I, wanted, I was fascinated by international travel. And when we were, when I was 18, we had a foreign exchange student live in my home from Columbia. Well, loved him and his family, and they actually invited me to go back with him. I lived three months in Columbia when I was 18. So from that point on, it's I've been all about desire to meet international people, travel internationally, and do whatever I could. When I was 21 then, not knowing what the next steps would be for me to be in ministry, I served in the local church, but through seminary and different processes i got back into missions uh serving and traveling okay nathan when i heard about you know 27 countries and him going to columbia who was it that said the first one of the first things you want to do is get a passport if yeah you, if you're mm. going to yeah, follow think, christ um there was a former uh vice president of the international mission board who once said that uh, you can't be obedient to the great commission unless you have your passport you know <laughs> in other words you're Ready and willing to, ready to, to obey where God sends mm-hmm. you. So your passport is marked up. I guess you got yeah. some older ones that you've had to lay aside and you've had to renew them, but you you need that. So 
you're serving in the church, but about six years ago, mm-hmm. you went with Wycliffe. Right. And tell us well, a little bit about that ministry and about your journey with Wycliffe. Well, like I said, through my ministries, I've always taken at least one mission trip with the local church, taking people wherever. And back in 2011, there was a family joined our church when I was at First Baptist Kissimmee, right outside of Orlando. And he was working with Wycliffe Associates, and he was traveling, and he was teaching English as a second language, and it was just fascinating to hear his stories. One day he took me to breakfast, actually, and I said, I would just like to go with you some time and just carry your bags. It wasn't three months till he had me on a plane with him, <laughs> and I think he carried my bags more than I carried his, though. But from that point on, I got involved with Wycliffe Associates, and at first we were teaching English as a second language, predominantly helping different partners to have better workers and to train the people that worked in those ministries. And then God opened a door to actually work with translation. There are 1,173 projects right now going on uh, with people around the world that are Bibleists. There are 7,000. I know. I want to be clear. Mm-hmm. Repeat that number. Okay. Let me start again. There are 7,097 languages, spoken languages in the world. Out of those, there are 1,173 projects taking place right now, working on through the churches or through different organizations trying to get some type of scripture into the heart languages of the different people. Uh, that's probably in around 92 countries. Wycliffe Associates is working uh, in any and every language where we have opportunity to work, teaching a new process that uh, makes this happen more accurately and quicker to get the Bible into the Bibleist people groups. So we, for example, there's over 700 languages in India. So we went into India and we were trying to find different NGOs uh, or churches and enable them to do the work rather than us coming in and actually doing the translation. Because if they do it themselves, it's a lot more accurate. It's uh, more accepted by the local people. And there's many reasons, but that's what we try to do is to enable the local people, empower them to do the work. There's this video that I've seen, and I can't remember everything. I know it was one of the Pacific Islands, and this group had studied the Bible from another translation of another language, and the pastor would take that and translate it into their language. So it shows these people after the translators had been there and they had finally gotten the Gospel of John in their language. And it shows an airplane coming in and all those people waiting for the Bible in their own language coming mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. And it was a party. Mm-hmm. I mean, celebration, glorious shouting, the Word of God in their own language, and the pastor who had translated from the other one to that one says, now we can really do it. Mm -hmm. And how important is that, Nathan, to have the Bible in your heart language? I mean, you you worked with a lot of people over in Clarkston, Georgia, and uh, translating what the gospel meant in their heart language was really, really vital. Sometimes when you translate, you do miss some of the 
really important key elements of even salvation, much less discipleship. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, absolutely essential to understand God's word in your heart language. Um, yes, for salvation, uh, for discipleship and spiritual growth, uh, but also I would say even in as it as it as the a new church is formed and it grows in in expressing worship, um, all those things uh, are are essential. And uh, you know, ultimately, um, when the when the word of God comes to a new group of people, it's, it really begins you know, on an oral basis, uh, verbal from from mouth to ear. Um, but I think, and this is how I believe God has intended it to be. But there comes a time. Uh, where it needs to be written in that language, um, and sometimes language some some groups are very literate and they need that. Uh, some are not as literate, but there is still necessary. So um, you have that checks and balances of what I'm telling my neighbor lines up with the written word of God here, and we can check it and make sure. And um, but still, there's so many people without. Mm-hmm without any, any portion of Scripture in their own language. Is that right? Well, yeah. Uh, there are still 2,700 languages in the world that do not have Scripture at all. Mm. Wow. And I have seen firsthand where pastors may have a, the Scripture, but they, it's um, in a language that they're not preaching to, to the people, so they translate it. So when the people hear it, you know, it's one thing to hear the Scripture, but it's another thing, like you say, to have it that you can take it home and read it right. and learn how to apply it into your own life. Tell us about some of the countries that you visited and what took place. We, you know, nothing like firsthand stories because you remember when Paul came back, especially from the first two missionary journeys, he would go give a report to Jerusalem and Antioch. Those two wanted mm-hmm. to hear what God yeah. was up to. So we're asking you, what what's God up to yeah. in 27 different countries that you know about? Well, it's been fascinating from the very beginning when we saw this uh, work this translation work take place. We call it MAST, M-A-S-T. It's Mobilized Assistance Supporting Translation. Mobilized means that we can go to them or we can go into their country or the larger city there and bring them in from the villages because many times they don't have the resources and they don't even get together. There may be a church of five people in one village that may be 30 miles away from another church that has five people, but they never see each other. So we can go in through the funding that people support uh, through Wycliffe Associates and we can bring them together and in two weeks get them started on the translation work. This first started in Nepal, and this was four years ago. So brought in, I think we had 36 people from that language group from all kind of different churches. I remember one little girl named Champa. She was the only one in her village that was a Christian. And when she became a Christian, her family disowned her. And they actually made her eat outside with the dogs. They would not let, allow her to come in the house and eat with them because she was Christian. But she still had the joy of the Lord in her. She was small, and she worked the hardest on the translation of any of the men or women that were there. She was probably 16 at the time. And she would have to ride, just to go to her church, a Christian church, she would have to ride the bus for like four hours from her home one way. And she would do it with a smile and a joy. So this was in Nepal. We went and brought them to a local uh, retreat center, and we worked with them for two weeks. And it was amazing to see them. They were nervous. They were scared. You know, this is God's word. What if they mess up with it? What if they don't translate it right? 
Well, we had to work through a lot of things, but to see God work and to see the way that they would come together and not only read the scripture, but they had to study it. What does this mean? How do I apply this? And they had to translate it into their language in words and in phrases that would make sense to the people who read it, who had no understanding of Bible knowledge or anything. So this is a process. It took two years for them to get the New Testament. So watching them grow, watching the leadership grow, watching the people who God ordained and commissioned to raise up out of that language group, to watch them grow was amazing. So I was able to actually go back to Nepal about two years ago and to see them uh, dedicate their Bible in the local church that it actually, the main church of that heart language. I want to do something geographical. Then I want to come back and ask some questions. And I know Nathan does too about prioritizing. How in the world do you decide who gets this translation first and who gets it second? But how do you get to Nepal from northeast Mississippi? <laughs> to, I, w- I want folks to see this is not just oh boy going on a luxury cruise. No, it's not. You know, tell us the. Can you remember the geographical stops you made to Nepal? Yeah. Well. I figured out the best way to go is I fly out of Memphis and would go to either Chicago or Newark. From there, you can get a one, uh, a one flight that's 14 hours into New Delhi. From New Delhi, then, yes, New Delhi, New Delhi India. India. Then from New Delhi, usually an overnight stay, then that's um, about an hour and a half flight into Kathmandu, Nepal. And then from there, you go out into the villages, and it could be days or uh, it just depends on where you go from there. So when you invest the time and mm-hmm. the labor and the money for doing this, you feel like you need to stay there because you yeah. you're just telling me you you would go and you'd felt like man I need to stay longer yeah. because uh, it's right. after you get there it's not as expensive and as difficult the difficulty is getting there and then coming back right. So that's Nepal mm-hmm. and that's about. If I understand, Nathan, you and I did this because when we were in the church together, uh, we had some men that were going to Nepal, and if you were running a uh, straight line from northeast Mississippi straight through the the globe, it would come out close to Nepal. If I'm not so, you you went straight all the way across mm-hmm. across the world, right? Amen. Well, how did how does Wycliffe Associates how do they prioritize? And here's what I'm saying: here's a a group of people who does not have the scriptures in their language, and here's another group. Do they compare size and numbers or ease, or do you know anything about the process of mm-hmm. how, how do you, that's always tough. Paul was always trying to prioritize on his missionary journeys. Uh, he, he made the most. He said, well, I'll go from village to village, but then he heard the Macedonian call, and he had to spend a good bit of time leaving where he was to get mm-hmm. there. How, how does that prioritizing work? Well, we work through different partners and different people through Wycliffe that go out and find these languages. But basically, we don't turn away anybody. There's a few uh, circum- th- few things that we need, of course, and they have to be Christian. Uh, they need to not have the Bible already being worked on by another organization. Other than that, we can do pretty much anybody anyway. Uh, and we start out with a two-week program. So prioritizing is need. Yes, need requests and it's done and it's filtered through the local church through the local organizations that we work with and that's all over the world i do have a question that came to mind when you were mentioning the uh the mast 
uh, program of how you go about translating and you bring in really just everyday average believers from a group, from a tribe, from a, from a people group uh, to translate into their language the, the Word of God. Um, and you talked about how they made them nervous. Mm-hmm. Does, it, does it work on the other end? Does it make, I would, I would say maybe like uh, Western, highly educated people that have really studied for a long time, whether it's Greek or Hebrew and all this, does it make those guys nervous to see this happening in such a simple, yeah. basic way? Yes. We've had a lot of challenges from huge organizations around the world as well that have done Bible translation for years. In times past, there's different ways that Bible would be translated, but in times past, it would take a lot of money and maybe 20 years to get the Bible or the New Testament. Now we can do it, depending on the amount of people that work on it, of course, but around two years, we can get the New Testament. That's great. What do they take as the base, the Greek, or do they take a... We have different ways to uh, check it, and Greek is one of the ways that we do that. We'll bring in scholars in. There's a big process, and it takes that process to go through, uh, and that's what scares people so much. But first, you just have to put in the what they understand and how it relates to their culture. Yeah. Uh, some languages don't have tabernacle. They don't have the word salvation. They don't have the word circumcision. So how do you translate these things so that they will understand what it means? So it, it's a process of going through and helping them understand what the Bible's saying. They put it in a form that their language will understand, their heart language, um, whether they've ever read the Bible or anything before. And then we go back and we would edit it. And there's a very strong editing process that we go through to make sure it's accurate. It's everything that the Bible, that the Greek says and doesn't leave out anything, that it's transferable and that it means exactly what uh, the Greek says. Have you had anyone give a report about like Nepal and they get the scriptures in their language? What happens then? Is, is it local, or the missionaries, the pastors, they take it and do it. what we do here, do small groups, do churches? Uh, you know, I, I saw, like the film that I saw, when I got it, when, when, they, when they received that excitement. Yeah. But then what happens? Well, we, we encourage discipleship. I've seen pastors that would get one chapter from a Bible done in their mother tongue, and they would take that chapter back and they would preach from it that next Sunday in their church. So they can't wait to get it. When I was in Nepal and I saw them hand out the New Testaments, I get chills right now just remembering it, they were so excited to get the Bible. They would get it and they would just look at it. Mm. They would open it up and they would just look at it. They could not believe they could read God's Word in their own mother tongue. It was just absolutely fascinating. And we not only do written, but we do oral, where we record it, and they would have a CD or whatever to listen to, maybe an app on the phone. And everybody has a phone all over the world, by the way. <laughs> it's not a rich-poor thing anywhere else. No, it's, it's, just, right. it's just part of life. Yeah. And we're, I was just in India in April, and we dedicated a New Testament that was for the deaf. It was a video oh, New wow. Testament, which was well done. I was amazed to see the f- final product. And they, too, will have an app on their phone or go and be able to download it from WycliffeAssociates.org uh, and be able to actually see the Bible that they've never been able to understand. It's in it. sign. Yeah, they sign, sign it. Wow. 
So what we're talking to Mike Hatfield, Wycliffe Associates Connected, and he travels around the world, and they're developing, and I use the word develop or translate the Bible into the heart language of, of individuals. Uh, now I want to go over these numbers one more time because I think this is this. I want people here to get a heart for what we have. I mean, if I go to my desk and I look at my shelves, I've got about seven or eight Bibles, and then I got go home and I've got more. And then there's people who do not even have yeah. one in their language. Uh, how many people are we talking about? How many, how many people groups are we talking about not having the Bible? There's uh, 2,700 Bibleist people groups still in the world out of 7,000, just under 7,100 languages. Okay. And each one of these people groups represents thousands yes. of people, yeah. maybe even a million. Millions, yeah. And are they mainly in that window, uh, the 1040, 1040 window. window? Is that where most of them are, or do you know? Nathan, yeah, that, that might be that's, your question. That, that more is, than I mean, that's any, any issue related to uh, uh, gospel access, and definitely Bible translation is a huge part of Bible access or gospel access. Uh, most of that you can find in that 1040 window, 10 degrees, 40 degrees north of the equator. So that is mostly Asia, mostly yeah. Asia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the two most populated countries in the world, China and India. And then they've got, especially, we know more about India, and I guess we do China. they got more people groups there than you could begin with. I remember going to school at Mississippi State University, and in my dorm we had a lot of Indian students and we thought, well, they'd be like us from English, Southerner and a Northerner. Now, I know sometimes me being a Southerner, they, they look at me like, well, man, he's got that Southern draw. But we communicate. Mm-hmm. Uh, in India, the dialects are so different yeah. that they couldn't even, even in that sh- small group that I was talking about, they had trouble communicating. Right. So you're looking at a lot of folks in this 1040 window that desperately need. So our prayers need to go with Wycliffe, the translators and the process but also the people that need our prayers. That's right. And when they get them, salvation, discipleship. Discipleship. Really, really expands. It's hard to disciple without the written word, I would think, and to understand it. it. Yeah, I mean, it it can be done, but it's hard to be done on a uh, large, I would say a large scale in a multiplied way, uh, which is what discipleship, you know, should be about. Uh, And, and it would be hard to be done where you could be confident in, in people's understanding and, and accuracy. Um, I mean, God's Word is meant to be read, it's meant to be heard, it's meant to be lived out. And uh, there's so many people that don't have access to it right now. We need to, we need to pray about that. We need to do something about that. Thank God for Moses who wrote down yeah. the first five books. I mean, what, we're still praising God for Moses uh, more than the Ten Commandments, but writing the history of those first five books. Mike, it's been good to have you with Thank us, you. brother. Me too. And may God bless you and continue to use you and your family. And uh, 
we want you to have great success as you and safety as you visit these Thank other you. countries. Thank you. You've been listening to Exploring Missions. Thank you for listening. Tell someone about the Lord as maybe across the street or around the world. Thank you.